Welcome to the Positive Productivity Podcast, Episode 500. The Positive Productivity Podcast was created to empower entrepreneurs to achieve and appreciate personal and professional success. I'm your host, Kim Sutton, and if you're ready, let's jump into today's episode. Welcome back to another episode of Positive Productivity. This is your host, Kim Sutton, and I'm so happy to have you here this morning. Our guest today is Tom Colzer, the founder of AWeber, and I'm so excited to have you here today. Thanks for having me, Kim. I'm looking forward to the chat. Listeners, I was telling you, Tom, that I'm on day four of a ketogenic diet, and I've totally switched what I've been eating, and today is like bang, full of energy. And I'm sure if you go back and listen to different episodes, you're going to hear that it's totally different. But Tom, thank you again for being here. I would love if you would give listeners more of an introduction to you and how you got to where you are today, because you know your story better than anybody else. <laughs> sure. Um, so I'm Tom Colzer. Uh, I started a company called AWeber uh, 20 years ago. Uh, we manage email newsletters and email automation campaigns for small businesses around the world. So we have about 100,000 small business customers that we help uh, deliver their email campaigns to them. So when you go to a website and sign up to receive a newsletter or blog updates or more information about a product or you purchase something and you get you know follow-up emails after it, we're the company that helps deliver those. Uh, all permission-based, of course, but we've been doing that now for about 20 years. 20 years? I had no idea that AWeber was that old. Yeah, we just, uh, I had no idea I was that old until someone told me I was 41, and I was like, when did that happen? <laughs> um, but, no, that can't be old because I'm, I'm just behind you. I'm 39 for the first no. time. Yeah, it's all downhill once you hit 40. <laughs> oh, please don't tell me that. But how, um, I mean, 20 years ago, though... Wait, let me think. I would so I didn't even so know was, about email marketing when I was nineteen. I mean, I was just yeah. just in college. I mean, I think I was still using AOL. No, I guess I would have been. I yeah, guess those were those were AOL days. You could have been still on AOL. Yeah, that was that was pretty hardcore AOL days. Yeah, I mean, so. I was just entering college. And I think we just got our first Ethernet hookup when I entered oh, that dorm. Fancy. So, yeah, I didn't have to fight with my roommates about who was you know, monopolizing the phone line by then? Yep, yep, yep. Yeah, that was, those are most definitely still the days of dial-up modems. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, and I, so the short story of AWeber's origin was I was working for a hardware company that was selling wireless modems, and that was a big technology leap back then yeah. uh, for being able to connect to the Internet wirelessly uh, wherever you happen to be. And I had basically developed a little program, a little you know email sequence that helped follow up with the folks that had inquired with me uh, about that product. Uh, and it worked really well, and I shared it with a number of other uh, sales folks that were in different parts of the country, and they were using it, and it worked really well for them. One thing led to another. I was in college. I switched majors, uh, decided that I needed to stop doing the modem thing. And, and uh, I stopped, you know, basically running the program that was doing the follow up for all the, a bunch of these other sales folks that were out there. And over a period of a couple of months, those folks started coming to me and say, hey, like, I really want to get that program that sent out the, you know, the automated follow up messages like can I buy that from you? And I was like, well, it doesn't really exist as a service anywhere. Like, I don't really want to just give you the script because it's not something that you're going to know what to do with. You know, and I told, uh, you know, a dozen or more people that until eventually it, the thought occurred to me like, hey, maybe I should turn this into like an actual business of some sort and figure out how to sell it on a website 
make it generic so other people can load their own content in it and you know use it for their own sales automation processes and uh, that was kind of the genesis of Aweber. So the you know Aweber was originally a much longer name, and it was Automated Web Assistant. And in trying to come up with something that was a little shorter and more memorable, it's like Automated Web Assistant. You know, is it maybe like Aweb, Aweb Assistant, Aweb Ass? No, you can't no. call yourself <laughs> Aweb Ass. That's totally inappropriate. Um, this is a very different business. So it kind of became Aweber. And it's a unique name and it's kind of stuck with us over the last 20 years. And, you know, at this point we send billions of emails uh, per month to people that had requested them on behalf of our hundred plus thousand customers uh, around the world. So it's, it's been pretty cool. And we do a lot more stuff than just like basic email newsletters. We do all kinds of like automation and tagging and, you know, different funnel setups and that sort of stuff. So it's, it's been fun. I was curious where the name came from. So thank you so much for sharing that. <laughs> it's usually everyone's like first question is how in the world did you come up with that? <laughs> but it makes so much sense now that you've explained it. And like, what the heck does that mean? Yep. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. So what were you going to college for? Uh, I started mechanical engineering. I always mm. like to like disassemble things. I like how things work and building stuff. So I thought I wanted to be a mechanical engineer. And uh, then I ended up, I decided that I didn't want to be responsible for people like dying when I built a bridge that like, Ooh. you know, didn't, didn't stand upright or something like that. So I switched to uh, finance and I figured losing people's money would be better than <laughs> you know, killing someone on a bridge. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, that was when I, that was around the same time that I got into this wireless modem thing on the side. And uh, one thing led to another. I ended up actually dropping out after my second year in college to, to start Aweber. And 20 years later, I've you know, had many of expensive lessons through business over the years. So uh, I've, I've more than uh, paid my college dues, but I unfortunately don't have a certificate to, uh, to you know, as an outcome there. It's <laughs> really interesting. Is it really unfortunate or is it fortunate? Because my sister is part of my team now, and we literally just got off a phone call five minutes before I hopped on with you and we were both talking about how neither of us is using our college degree right now. I went for interior architecture. You would never know by looking at my house. <laughs> but I mean, the social skills were great. And I think for the time period that you and I would have been in school, it was a totally different period because smartphones weren't out yet and we really had to be social. I mean, online education, my husband went to school online. So his mm -hmm. social was really different. And my yeah. sister went to Cornell. I don't even want to know what her student loans are, you know, but yeah. it was a totally different period. And maybe I could be generalizing here, but I, I would have to think that the kids who are in school now, and I have kids who are going to be entering college in just a couple of years, they're going to be getting a totally different experience just because of how technology has changed. Sure. Yeah, I think for me, kind of my takeaway on college and, and just education in general is you can go to learn about a specific thing or you can go to learn how to learn. And I think for me, the benefit of, of education is, is like learning how to learn because I've never stopped learning. And I'm constantly enrolled in something or doing something to you know, broaden my horizons about different topics. So I think it's it's about, you know, being able to research, being able to, to learn new things, being able to ask critical questions. 
I think is what I took away from my time in college. And I hope that my own kids, you know, when they're old enough to go to college, you know, look to take away. I think the specific like book learning is not as important as the actual like how to learn process. And I think there's a lot of value as well in the in the general like people connections that you make, like the genuine people, lifelong friends. Like, you know, it's interesting if you look back or at least for me anyway, if I look back to like who some of my closest personal friends are. They're people I knew in like high school and college because we shared so many things in common, you know, over the years. And we've gone very different ways and, you know, professionally and even personally, but like we're still really good friends. Like, you, you know, you get back together and like you instantly have this connection and bond that, you know, it might have been three years since you saw the person last. And it's like you just, you know, it's like you just hung out with them the night before. I can so feel that, that to me is college, you know, and, and education in general. Yeah. In my second year of college, one of my closest friends actually taught me a valuable lesson in social skills. And I think this is the biggest thing that I took from college or the biggest lesson I was really quiet. I'm still an introvert. You might not be able to tell that, but I was scared to say anything because I was afraid that I would say something stupid. So she told me, you being so quiet makes me think that you're a snob and stuck up and you think that you're not good enough or that the people around you are not good enough to talk to you. And I was like, wow, I never really thought about it that way, that me just keeping everything inside because I'm afraid of looking ridiculous would be a mistake. And actually, there's a little section, listeners, that was just taken out. I had a cat trying to get in my window who's not ours. And that, I guess, by editing that out, that could make me, you know, hide some of the ridiculousness that goes on around here. And I'm not afraid to share that. But I want to sort of segue that into email marketing. And I'm going to come back to that in just a moment. But Tom, one of the pet peeves that gets me on a daily basis, and I don't like to talk about pet peeves usually, but I... I get maybe 20 to 30 new LinkedIn connections every day and uh -huh. I get added to so many lists. Like they, they think, okay, she's my LinkedIn connection now. Let's just auto add her to my email list and start marketing her on the most popular one is the cannabis industry. Do you want to start your new cannabis business? Do you want to sell real estate for cannabis? No, I don't. I'm quite happy where I am now and stop adding me to your list. Can you touch on that a little bit and tell the listeners why they shouldn't be auto adding people to their email lists. That's spam. Besides the fact that it's illegal to do in the U S you can't add someone without their permission to Can you say them. that again, please. <laughs> it's illegal in the U S to add people without permission to your mailing list. Any reputable vendor will also terminate you from their services for doing that sort of mm -hmm. thing. Because uh, you're going to generate complaints, you're going to generate low open rates, you're going to generate low clicks. You know, email marketing in 2018 is all about engagement uh, and making sure that you're sending content that is wanted and relevant to each subscriber. So I think when you ask most people, like normal people that aren't in the email marketing industry, what spam is, their definition really has nothing to do with permission. It's more about whether the email is relevant to them or not. And they might have signed up for something in the past, but if you start sending them a whole bunch of stuff that they don't really want anymore, they're going to call it spam. <laughs> and you and I could argue semantics over what that spam is and spam isn't, but at the end of the day, the definition really in the bigger picture of the world is email I don't want anymore. So I might have never signed up for it, meaning I've never wanted it, or it might be email that I did sign up for, but I don't want anymore in my 
interaction with that email over time has told you if you're using appropriate tools that I don't want that email anymore. So absolutely. That's that's really important to look at. But uh, yeah, I would turn those LinkedIn notifications off. I turn all that stuff off. I very rarely go on LinkedIn. (laughs) Well, I have found it to be a great business building tool. It's just I don't appreciate being added to lists that I didn't sign up for. And going back to, you know, if you change the content that you're sending out, if somebody signs up for, say, the free version of my planner, Mm -hmm. but I all of a sudden do decide to get into the cannabis industry, and I start marketing my list on that, that's not what they signed up for. Right, exactly. And I didn't get permission for that. Exactly. So I I think that people take liberties with that. And, you know, sometimes depending on your relationship, you might be able to get away with that. But like, you know, most of the time, no. So, you know, it's the email and and getting opt-ins, getting people to actually ask for your stuff is all about setting expectations. Expectations both in the content that you're going to send, but also the frequency in which you're going to send it. It's like if I sign up to get, you know, productivity tips from you, and you don't say how frequently it, you're going to send it, I might think you're going to send a weekly email about that or maybe a monthly email. So let's say I signed up expecting to get one email a month from you and suddenly I start getting three emails a day. What am I likely to do as a recipient on that end? Like you've kind of violated my expectations mm-hmm. now, be it I didn't really have any reason to set an expectation there, but you didn't set it and I just kind of made one up in my head. So if I think I'm getting it monthly, you send it three times a day, I'm probably going to market as spam if I'm a real user in the real world. Uh, me, myself, personally, I would unsubscribe, but most people in the world are just going to market as spam. <laughs> yeah. And that's going to hurt your ability to actually then send emails to the people that actually do want your stuff and do want it three times a day um, is because that when that person sending that signal to you know, Google or Hotmail or Yahoo or one of those, like all of those signals add up over time and and can influence where your email gets delivered, whether it gets delivered to the inbox or the spam folder. So, well, I know the service that I use and listeners, you can go back and hear more about the service that I use and also a couple others that clients use. I know they have no hesitation about just pulling the plug on their subscribers who are clearly violating those policies. If I'm not mistaken, and I want you to correct me if I'm mistaken, it impacts every other user of that platform too, right? So if somebody is using AWeber to do their email marketing and they get a high frequency of spam reports, can't that potentially impact all the other AWeber users as well? It's a little more nuanced than that, but I would generally say yes to that, but there is more nuance than that. So in the, in the big picture of things, but yeah, we, we take our overall reputation as an email sender very, very seriously and making sure that our clients are doing good things, um, and not bad things. And yeah, we have our best practices team, uh, you know, like we have a team of people that do nothing but watch what our customers are doing and make sure that they're doing the right thing. And either educate them in the cases where they need education or boot them in the cases where they're like very clearly intentionally doing something bad. Because uh, there really there's there's two types of, of that sort of thing. So, Well, one of the cases that my clients have been experiencing lately is bot signups where they're using real email addresses, but then yep. putting in fake names. And they're not even names. They're like a series of numbers and letters. Yep. And then and it's even happened to me that we look like we're buying lists or just falsely inputting email addresses to try to pad our list a little bit, but it's actually not us, but it's bots. 
Yep, and that's a, a prime reason you should be using confirmed opt-ins to mm-hmm. confirm all of the people that get added to your list that they actually are real people. And in many cases, like the ones that you're able to pick out as like, you know, clearly kind of gibberish names and those sort of things, those are the easy bots to detect. The hard ones are the ones where they actually look like real names. And what they do is they want to get on your list so that they can get an email from you and then they reply with their spam to you. Or they're like blog comment spammers where, you know, they might submit a name and email that looks real, but you don't see the other fields in the form submission that are like, you know, a subject and like a body of a blog comment that come through on the form that like we can see on our back ends. Um, but using confirmed opt-in, you know, basically the little verification link that goes to somebody the very first time before you then send, you know, additional emails to them. That's the best way to ensure that you have a quality mailing list. We do a lot of things on the web forms that are built into AWeber to, you know, to basically filter out all of the bots because it's a significant percentage of traffic. I'd say like 20 to, depends on the day, but between like 20 and 40% of all web form submissions are attempted by bots. Wow. Which is crazy when you think about it. Um, And we filter the vast majority of those out, but there's always some that get through Mm -hmm. just because there's some that, you know, they're very sophisticated and you're you're not going to catch every specific instance of it. But, uh, you know, confirmed opt-in is really the best way to get to get those out. And similarly, a lot of customers, a lot of users, both of our platform and others, use many other platforms to collect, you know, subscribers, whether it's, you know, various like WordPress plugins or other web form builders and landing page builders and, you know, uh, website, you know, builder tools and so forth that have forms in them that can like integrate with our service and others. And most of those do not have the same sort of like bot detection routines in them. So they just pass these emails over to us that we have to then figure out on the back end whether or not they're doing good or bad things. And that can reflect poorly upon the customers. Like we regularly have customer or regularly have conversations with customers of like, okay, I see you're using this API integration. You're currently getting slammed with bot addresses. Like you need to either use a different integration, you know, use our native web form tool so that we can help prevent some of this stuff, use confirmed opt-in, et cetera, because it is, it's definitely a real problem. So and not something that most people are aware of unless they're pretty savvy. Right. Like one client had probably a couple thousand emails on his list that were something like 5A gibberish, gibberish, gibberish. Yep. And, and the spam, um, the system that he uses allows one spam report per thousand emails sent. So when you've mm-hmm. got 2,000 of those going out, it's going to bump you up really high. And then he's at risk of losing his whole account. Yeah, well, it's also that, you know, ISPs on the receiving end, they can, they know when you're mailing bot addresses. Mm -hmm. So when you're mailing bot addresses and you're doing it consistently, that also is a huge flag to that ISP that your list sanitation, you know, your subscriber, you know, opt-in practices and so forth aren't very good. So that, you know, they're much more likely to deliver more of your mail to the spam folder if if you're being sloppy about how it is that you're collecting subscriber permission. Because if you had a proper subscriber permission process in place, you wouldn't be mailing those addresses. You'd send one email, you'd send the confirmation email and nothing ever again. But when you continually email them over time, like that tells them you're sloppy. <laughs> right. right. So. Some people think, and, and I was guilty of this at the beginning of my business, quantity over quality. I mean, I will not deny that I had Facebook like campaigns, like, um, like ads. I was using tactics on 
um, let me think, Twitter and Instagram, you know, mm-hmm. follow, unfollow to try to get yep. my numbers up. But yep. I realized that the quality of the people that I was getting just yeah. really stank. And I think the same can be said for our email list when we're not yeah. going about it the right way. I wouldn't even so much say the quality because like, you know, I think it's really easy to abstract away sending email to like, Hey, I'm just sending these emails out when like, when you really realize like, Hey, when I'm writing an email, like to Kim sitting in her office, you know, or I'm writing an email to Tom sitting in his office or wherever he happens to read his email, whether it's in the car while my wife is driving or on a couch or, you know, you know, wherever I happen to be, but like you're writing an email to me. You're not sending an email to a thousand people that's getting read in a stadium you know, you're sending it to me and being able to, to think about that interaction differently is really important. So it's not so much that like, you know, I'm not a bad quality person and you're not a bad quality person. Think about it more as a engaged. Are you sending emails that I care about? It's kind of a, I ask this constantly in the office. It's like, why do I care? Okay, we're going to do that. Why? Why do I care? Why, why do you care? Why, do, why does he care? Why does she care? Why should I care? Because uh, we're all going to potentially have different reasons about why we care about that thing. It might make their life easier. It might, you know, cost me less, and it might, you know, drive more value for a customer. Those are all good things, but they're all very different. So, being able to think about it as an engagement and sending relevant content to them. You know, if I have a thousand people on a list, it's how is that email that I'm sending relevant to each one of those individual thousand people that might be receiving that. And that's why you see things around, you know, marketing automation and tagging and being able to set up, you know, different funnels for different people is it's really those are all kind of like marketing speak for send me more relevant stuff that I want. (laughs) And it adds value in my life, because if it's not adding value, I'm either not going to click on it, I'm going to market a spam, (laughs) you know, or, or just, you know, completely ignore it. So That is so huge. And that's something that I've been dealing with all of my clients right now is when they enter somebody's funnel, if it's for free opt-in or however they're entering, find out where they're at right now and what type of content they want to get. And I've been Mm -hmm. using Ryan Levesque. I never know if I'm saying his name right. The ask method. So on my site, I have which best describes you for my opt-ins and I give them three choices. And then I'm Uh putting it around that. And then I have clients who have a variety of Uh, Depending on where the person comes in, they might not need the ground level training. They might be a little bit more advanced. But if you're selling the people who are at the top and really are ready for the one-on-one coaching, if you're still trying to get them in at ground level, they're going to be like, I don't want this, right? Yeah. Unsubscribe. This isn't relevant. So ask them where they're at right now and then keep them going. Absolutely. I want to go back to the beginning of your journey a little bit, if you don't mind. So you had like a dozen people ask you if they could get your product, how fast did you start growing once you put all the pieces together? Um, I spent a couple of months getting the very basic, you know, service out there. It was literally, uh, you know, basically you copy and paste in subject line and a plain text message. uh, And you could send up to seven messages, you know, and then you could add additional messages. But it was kind of the, the whole premise was about being able to, you know, stay in touch seven times with somebody. So from there, you know, it was really one of those things where it worked really well for the people that were using it early on. And 
they told other people. It was like, it's kind of one of those, you solve a problem for somebody, they're going to tell other people you know, that you're adding value in their world, you know, either personally or professionally. So from it scaled pretty, pretty quickly. And, uh, you know, that was something that was pretty cool. So by the end of, I'd say like 12 months. So we launched in, we, I always talk about we, and it was kind of me, myself and I, uh, it was a really friendly, really friendly group. Yeah. So at the end of the first 12 months, I had probably about a thousand or so customers. Whoa. So it scaled pretty, pretty quickly. So what was your first hire? My first hire was customer solutions. Mm, that's good. Yeah. So that was uh, the, the first hire, but that was a year and a half in. <laughs> oh, wow. So up until then, you were handling development. I was doing building, everything. And making sure your clients were happy. Yes, absolutely. Did you sleep? Uh, not really. <laughs> yeah. And how many people are on your team today? Uh, about 125 or so. Oh, wow. Wow. You all are doing amazing things, and and I'm not saying that that's a small team, but that's actually a lot smaller than I would have expected. Um, man, you like, in a good way. I mean that. Yeah, like, it's it's a pretty good sized team in the grand scheme of yeah, things. Oh no, it's so, totally it, it's yeah. it's really big, but it I would have thought that you had a lot more. So kudos to you. Do you have standard operating procedures in place for your team? Oh, absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. How long did it take you to figure out that you needed it, or did you do it straight from the start? Uh, it's really a constant kind of battle of anytime you're doing something new, mm -hmm. the, uh, yeah, I'm just trying to think the, you know, we, we started with like, you know, basic kind of customer service interaction stuff, but a lot of that stuff early, early on was not all that well documented. It was like, we'd talk about a procedure, but because it was like just two of us, it was like, we talked about it and then I knew he had it. So there wasn't really a need to like write it down. I think the standard operating procedure stuff is really something where as your team scales and you need to be able to do things in a repeatable way, in a quality way, uh, the standard operating procedures become more and more important. Like our documentation around that stuff gets more and more detailed over time. And it's a fine line between having like a standard operating procedure and then and like feeling scripted, you know, like I don't want our interactions with our customers or our customers to feel like we're giving them a scripted response. But I want the responses to be, you know, consistent, like you shouldn't call and talk to one of our team members on the phone about a problem and get one particular answer and then call again the next week about the same sort of thing and get a totally different answer from somebody else. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? Like the responses should be consistent. Like the training needs to be consistent so that everybody is on kind of that same level playing field and is giving the correct response when a customer is having an issue or when they just need guidance around something. Cause frankly, that's a lot of what we do is, you know, it's just guidance and that's, and that's a big part of our, customer solutions team is, is not just fixing the problem. It's also like, Hey, I'm working on this funnel thing and I don't really know the best way to set this up. Like, you know, how do you guys recommend other clients do it? And that's where our team can take a look at your business and kind of, you know, give you a little bit of kind of, you know, essentially free consulting on, on the best way to do stuff. But that's, that comes around kind of that standard operating procedure and education and, you know, consistency there. So, yeah. I love that you provide I feel like I that. you a meandering answer to that question. <laughs> Are you kidding? I meander all the time. No, that was amazing. And I've experienced that not with AWeber, but with a whole bunch of other companies. Just, you know, you get on 
live chat or you call and you can get such varying answers. And some people can solve the problem in two seconds or others. They just don't even know where to look. And yeah. sometimes you can feel like, oh, my gosh, did they just pick this person up off the street today? Because why yeah, is it just well, taking me two hours to get a solution? Yeah, you got to start somewhere. And that's uh, and that's a tricky thing. You know, that's one of the reasons like all of our team, like literally every team member that joins our team goes through two weeks of training that is universal. It goes across the entire country. So whether you're, you know, our new CFO or you're a new, you know, frontline customer solutions team member or you new software engineer, you go through essentially the same two week onboarding training. Uh, that teaches them about our products and how our customers interact with it so that once they go back to their individual, you know, kind of job responsibility and role, they're able to take that perspective of our customers calling in our customer emails and the live chats that we have and say, hey, when I was in when I was doing CS training, like this customer used this particular thing this way. So like I'm now a software engineer and I'm, you know, working on the user interface or something for, you know, our message editor. It's like they have the context of how the several dozen people that they interacted with have used that feature in their business and how it added value. So it allows them to make different decisions than they might otherwise have done. Oh, I love but, that. Training is really, really key with with all that we do, and especially around our customer solutions team, but just all of the roles that we that we have internally. So, now, I, I know this could vary based on the position that you're filling, but let's just take a customer support person, for example. What are you looking for in a customer service person? Are you looking for more experience or character or a mix? Most people don't have email marketing experience, mm -hmm. so it's it is uh, their general demeanor, you know, and how you know it's how do they come across as a person? Is it someone that you know is outgoing enough to be able to ask the right questions, to you know find out about somebody's issue? Uh, are they going to be understanding, you know, if somebody calls in upset because something's not working for them, you kind of have to, you know, kind of metaphorically talk someone off the ledge. Uh, and a lot of that is like, just shut up and listen and make sure that that person knows that you're, you're hearing them, you're understanding what their, their issue is. And then you can ask appropriate probing questions to be able to figure out, you know, the ultimate solution to their problems. But we don't, we, we, I can, I'm trying to even think of like how many people have come to us that had prior email knowledge, very, very few over the years. And most of that can be trained, you know, just like we educate our customers, we educate our team and you have kind of progressive you know, advancement, like, you know, you talked about that experience of like, hey, did somebody just come off the street and start answering phone calls? And at a Weber, that's not the case. <laughs> you don't just start and start answering phone calls. Um, it goes, there's an escalation process. And as, as far as once you do the two week training, there's then more additional training that goes on in the department. And, you know, they handle different levels of, of tickets. Basically, their, their manager would assign, you know, different support incidents to them that fit within the knowledge base that they have from, you know, that point, whether it's handling billing issues or, you know, something like, you know, really easy things that it's like, there's a way to do it. <laughs> there's a right way and a wrong way. And the right way is really pretty straightforward. And from there, you start to branch out and get more and more kind of unique things until eventually you're working on just whatever comes, you know, whatever your next phone call is, is the problem that you're working on. And it could be any number of different things, Absolutely. but you don't, you don't, you don't get there right away. That could take months depending on the person. Yeah. So I've built my team 
I'm in the third round of building my team right now. The first two times I did it completely wrong. The first time I hired a ton of people with experience who ended up taking all the income. And I don't mean taking in a bad way. Like I had to pay them all the income that came in just to keep them. And I ended up putting myself deep in the hole. Okay. The second time I went with people who didn't necessarily have experience, but I hired way too many way too fast and I couldn't manage everybody. And I was giving them way too much. And this third time I'm going for a balance or I have a balance. So there's another person who could basically be another Kim. If the other six have questions, they Uh can go to her and they can get their questions answered. Even when I'm going to call like right now, you know, I'm not worried anymore. That stuff isn't getting done because they know they can go to her. Sure. And it feels so good. But the rest of the team was green when they came to me, meaning they had not been in this space before. But I love it because I'm training them how to do it the way that I want it done in the way yeah. that has worked in growing my team or growing the company. Yeah. But there's like building out funnels. You can't just, well, going back to the bring people off the street. You can't necessarily bring somebody in off the street. If you need somebody to help you build funnels, then it it can be a little bit scary, but there has to be that mix. You were going to school for mechanical engineering. How did you know the coding to actually build the script in the first place? I know that's jumping from one extreme topic to another, but I'm just so curious. Uh, it's funny. I never, it never really occurred to me to get like a computer science degree, but I was always into like playing with computers and a little bit of programming and so Uh forth. And I'd written, I'd written a couple like really basic like games just to play around with on my own, like back in the day on like the, you know, the like Commodore computer and in basic programming language. And, and I would spend hours and days working on these things. And it was just for my own, you know, kind of entertainment, if I had ever really like thought of computer science as like a profession, I probably would have, or, you know, as a degree, like I probably, we wouldn't be sitting here talking about this now. I'd, I'd be in a very different, you know, career outcome potentially. So, but, uh, yeah, it was just something that I had taught myself. So, you know, it's, I, I like to tell our team that I don't know a great deal about any one particular subject. Mm-hmm. I know a little bit about a whole lot of different subjects, and I can piece them all together in really interesting and unique ways that, you know, my life experiences that not a whole lot of people are, are able to do. So, yeah, uh, I kind of I, my catchphrase on that is like, I know enough to be dangerous. <laughs> I was just about to say that. And so, I'm the same way. I would yeah. have to put it at like 1995. We had a, our first computer in my house and it was one that my uncle had actually gotten when he was going through school and they had given us. It was IBM. And I would get into the programming in I think it was like CDC I had to type in or something. And I accidentally deleted the mouse, the any coding for the mouse out of the computer. So we could no longer <laughs> use the, the mouse. That was the end of me touching code. I used to drive my mom crazy as a child, taking apart my bike just to see if I could put it back together again. And I, I could never do it. So yep. yeah, yeah, I used to take apart the bikes and all that kind of stuff. Yeah, that was what got me into the mechanical engineering was that uh-huh. like kind of inquisitive, like I want to understand how things work. And I think that's great. And I, I try to encourage my own kids to do the same. So we are always doing little projects that, you know, take stuff apart and put things together and little experiments and seeing what we can get to explode or, you know, yep. Yep. <laughs> light up or whatever it happens to be. I spent more time taking apart my bike than I did riding it. And I would always like (laughs) crash into the mailbox when I was writing it. So I just stuck with taking it apart. What is the mission of AWeber? What is the, our mission is to connect people in remarkable ways. 
So note that really has, there's nothing about email in that, but email is a great way to connect people uh, when done correctly. So, when done so correctly, all, thank you. Yeah, so that, that would be our overall mission. And what about your mission, Tom? My mission? Oh, gosh. I really, I think for me, I take great passion in, I'm very introverted. So, so for me, I, I am rewarded by personal connections and the, you know, I, I very much am a huge part of our kind of core mission at AWeber and connecting people in remarkable ways. But for me, it's also about like building things that have value in the world and changing the world in whatever, you know, small way that I can do it. And so I take kind of great satisfaction in helping to, you know, build a great product that connects people, helping to build a great, you know, team and environment for, you know, 100 plus people to come to work each day, you know, hopefully building a great, you know, experience and childhood for my children and giving them experiences and opportunities that, you know, lots of other kids don't have and, and you know, sharing that uh, with, with friends and so forth. So it's, I really, I, I think at the core of what I do, it's really about kind of building things. I like to build stuff. I can sense that. Yeah. Yeah. You mentioned earlier that you're always in some type of training or learning something. What are you in right now? Or what are you most passionate about learning right now? Maybe that would be a better question. I think the thing that I've been like kind of consuming uh, a great deal is um, the finance world and how artificial intelligence is changing the world of finance and investments and stocks and, and that sort of thing. It's kind of like a side personal passion of mine and just, you know, how, how that changes markets, how that changes how people invest, how that changes how uh, institutions invest, uh, and how that changes like the risk profiles that both individual investors as well as institutional investors have. So completely nothing to do with email. <laughs> um, it's just kind of a side passion of mine and, and side interests. So. But I love that because you're showing that just because you're an entrepreneur doesn't mean that you can't do anything outside of your business. And I oh, think, yeah, no, I, I think that's how you get new ideas, too, is by oh, being absolutely. exposed to lots of different stuff. So, yeah, you know, that the time away from the business is just as valuable, if not, frankly, more valuable than the time like in the business. So, you know, people talk about like working in the business or working on the business. Mm -hmm. And I feel like most of my ability to kind of like work on the business is by not being at the business in any way, shape or form, because it allows me to see how, you know, people connect and how the world, you know, is changing and evolving with, with all the different technologies and stuff that are out there. And, uh, yeah, it's just th that, that time away is, is really, really insightful for me. And I come back to the office energized with new ideas and new paths forward. So I can feel that completely. I have what I call chronic idea disorder. <laughs> and, and without a doubt, and these are just minor examples, but taking a shower or just going to the daycare to get pick up the kids every time a new idea and it's almost yeah, dangerous. It is because it, it kind of gets to the heart of, of what your podcast is all about is positive productivity. 
you know, and, and that kind of like idea deluge that we have, you know, I talk about what our team, uh, like our team is always like, Oh, you know, the backlog of ideas that we have to implement is huge. We should hire another, you know, 400 people. And it's like, well, yeah, that'd be awesome. But now I have, I would have 400 more people that are generating more ideas. Like just hiring more people will never get rid of the idea onslaught or the backlog of cool things that you want to be able to work on. It will always create more, you know, at the end of the day, the value is in the execution of getting the highest priority thing out the door that is adding the most value to the most people. So it's really, you know, it's not, I think kind of ideas are a dime a dozen. It comes down to execution or prioritization and execution of those ideas, which is really at the core of what your series is all about. Whoa. I feel like every single guest episode is a coaching moment for me. And there it was. (laughs) thank you (laughs) i'll send you the bill later (laughs) okay (laughs) or i'll send you a whole bunch of new clients how about that sweet yeah tom this has been an amazing conversation thank you so much for joining me on positive productivity absolutely thanks for having me kim it's been fun you are so welcome where can listeners connect with you online and i know we can send them to aweber.com but is there anywhere that they can connect with you on online Sure. Uh, best way to get me directly. I'm really hard to find via email. I'm Tom at aweber.com uh, or Tom K at aweber.com. Uh, you can also find me on Twitter. I am uh, T Colzer at Twitter. So, so I'm, I'm pretty hard to uh, track down. I'm pretty much everywhere. Yeah, so that's if, nearly you, if, impossible. You, if you Google me, you're going to find me. Fabulous. <laughs> Listeners, if you're driving, working out, whatever, and you can't write that down, you can go to the show notes, which you can find at thekimsutton.com forward slash PP 500. Tom, again, thank you so much. I would love to know if you have a parting piece of advice or a golden nugget that you can share with listeners. Sure. I think my my nugget would be uh, growth happens in the uncomfortable zone. So try to do something regularly. I, I try to say every day, but try to do something regularly that scares you a little bit. Uh, and you'll grow a little bit each day as a result. Thank you for tuning in to this episode of the Positive Productivity Podcast. When I'm not podcasting, I'm supporting six to seven figure business coaches with their marketing automation and entrepreneurs like you through my coaching and mastermind programs. I want to invite you to visit thekimsutton.com to learn how I can help you take your business to the next level. (laughs) 